0: Welcome, Christy and Mark Green, to the Better Next Birth. Thank you so much for being willing to be some of the first people to come on this podcast. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having us. Yeah, never been us. on a podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> your chances are getting better and better all the time. <laughs> so let's just state for everyone, I got to be your midwife for your second child. And I'm really excited for you to tell your story to... All the families out there who had, like you, a hard first birth and hopefully families that are looking for something better for their second one. Christy and Mark, would you mind telling us first, like how was your first birth for you?
1: It was among the worst days of my life, which is a hard truth because it was our, our baby's birthday, but it was horrible. Pregnancy was uncomplicated. Really, I had acid reflux and that's the extent of the complications, like super- easy by the book pregnancy. We were, yeah, low risk in every way. And we were 41 and two and my water broke. I wanted to wait on it till the next morning, but we decided to go into the hospital. And from there we were made out to be this like medical emergency because my water had broken literally like an hour before. (laughs) We're not talking five days before we're talking like an hour before. So we get in and They want to keep us, which is fine. I was prepared for that, but I wasn't prepared for just the level of coercion that we experienced. I wanted an unmedicated natural birth and everything we said, basically, they countered. Nobody heard us. We were lied to multiple times. I was basically coerced into a type of monitoring I didn't want or my baby would die if he hasn't already died. An anesthesiologist screamed at me. Yeah. It ended in a C-section, obviously, because there's we're in the operating room. And basically it was just like one intervention led to the next intervention, which is unfortunately extremely common with hospital births. And I didn't know that.
2: I felt like we knew like you knew, what, we knew like of. what they were gonna do. And even knowing that, it felt like it wasn't enough because like they make it in such a high pressure stress situation. And that after you say no about the 50th time. It's like, you're eventually they beat you down. Like you're in labor, you're having contract. Like, no, it's like-
1: You're so vulnerable.
2: That's the word. You're, you're so vulnerable. vulnerable. And you're
1: with a partner. It was COVID. So there were no doulas. And Mark is not a birth expert. And I have really zero experience. I have my preferences, but it's a really vulnerable spot to be in, to walk in there and say, hey, here's how I would like this to go down. it is. It's a really vulnerable, hard spot to be in. So basically- We fought tooth and nail against every intervention. And just eventually you just say yes, because they position it in so many different ways. They bring in superiors. And the thing is, I don't disrespect or disagree with them offering suggestions, right? That's their job as a medical professional, but it's my job to say yes, or it's my job to say no. And that was where the line was crossed. I understand they have their protocols and their guidelines and I understand they're supposed to offer them to you but when I said no like it did not mean no and to me that's where the line was crossed and it was crossed over and over and over Mm -hmm. and on the fourth or fifth time of it being crossed I just gave up like I completely checked out and I was like you do you I'm gonna just peace out like I don't even want to be here physically or emotionally and that's what they did. And they took care of us. Like I survived and my baby survived, but like they really had their way with us.
2: Yeah, it was crazy.
1: They really had their way with us. So baby was fine. I was physically fine. But then they left this like emotional, complete like tidal wave afterwards that took a really long time for me to process. And a big part of that was because... When you have a baby, a lot of people, even if you insinuate that it's hard or something happened, they say, thank God mom and baby are healthy. And, and we were, and that was true, but that felt like extremely belittling to the truth of the matter, which was like. A piece of me died at that hospital. No one saw that or no one asked about that or dug into that. So I, I swept it under the rug because it, it started to seem unimportant. So it just seemed normal, commonplace. And unfortunately, like birth trauma is commonplace. It happens, I think, in, I want to say like 30% of people's experiences, they report being like really traumatized by their birth. So it's not healthy and it's not okay, but it is common. And so I started to think, thank God I'm healthy. Thank God my baby's healthy. Let's move on. And the trauma didn't fully resurface until I got pregnant again, which was obviously significantly later. So yeah, it was a shit show. Honestly, it was, I'm not going to say everything that could have gone wrong did because of course it didn't. Like We were better off than many people, but it was a shit show nonetheless. It really sucked. And it was... A terrible start to parenthood
0: I want to take a pause there Christy truly I remember hearing the story the first time but hearing the details over again I just I still feel it for you thank you for sharing and that didn't need to happen to you I'm so sorry it happened to you and I really hope that you telling the story will help other people hear that oh my god that happened to her too
1: Yeah. It's really common. It's really shitty. And it wasn't the outcome. It wasn't the C-section. It was the lies and the coercion and the fear mongering and the no, not meaning no. That was what it was. I cared about our treatment. And in Mark's treatment, it wasn't even just me. It was really both of us in it together. And we were
0: just completely taken advantage of. Mark, was that your experience also?
2: Completely too. And not to bring it up again, but even like the anesthesiologist, like screaming at her, literally screaming. Yeah. If you don't shut up or I'll give you something to put you out or something like that. But uh, yeah, no, it was a crazy thing. It's like this person in this position of essentially power, was just it just felt like people were just abusing their power. And just, it was just so, we- it was just weird. We just both felt it can't be like this. There's no way it's supposed to be like yeah. this kind of a thing. You're like, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And even getting you to take that first pill, it's like, the nurse basically, you know, we're like, we don't want to take anything, you know, nothing that's going to make her contraction stronger. And she's like, oh no, this won't make your contraction stronger. We're like, oh, okay. Takes the pill. Literally 10 minutes later, contractions are super crazy strong. She's basically just lied to us and we just both together. We're like, wow. It was like, the situation was crazy, but yeah.
0: That's the same nurse, right? I'm not missing. There's no misunderstanding here, right? That was the same human. It was the same human. And while we're not naming names, I think what is worth saying out loud is the hospital that you went to is part of a HMO medical group in our city. And so you guys didn't have a lot of choice. If you wanted an insurance company to pay for your birth, which for a 40, $40, $40,000 experience, you probably want your insurance to cover that if possible. So you didn't have another place you could have gone anyone, any of the hospitals in that particular HMO system were likely to provide that same type of environment. That's what I want to say.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You have very little choice if you want your insurance to kick in.
0: Mark, I heard you say something you were like, it can't be this bad. It can't be that this is the way it's supposed to go. Is that sort of the kernel that, that ha- had you guys look for something different? How did you know to look for something different the next time?
2: We just never wanted to go through that again. We started
0: doing
1: research.
0: I found some people
1: who work in the birthing space. We are generally holistic-minded people. That's our MO, generally. I didn't know the application to birth. The application to birth is similar to regular healthcare, actually, non-birth healthcare. There is a conventional model, and there are more holistic models, too. And in my opinion, they honestly both have a time and place. They really are both valid for really different reasons. I didn't know before that there was a different option for birth. Like everyone just goes to the hospital. You get whatever on-call doctor and nurse is there. Like you have no choice really. And you have a baby and then you go home and that's just the way it goes. But the more research I did, the more I got interested in the midwifery model of care. And that's where everything changed. And I think that sort of empowered us in part to get pregnant again, hoping for a different outcome because I was done. After I didn't want any more kids, I told Mark I was one and done. I, but yeah, we just did research and it led us to the midwifery model of care, which is like (laughs) night and day
0: different. (laughs) (laughs) Mark, were you in on that research? I think you
2: brought me on pretty early in it. Yeah, yeah.
0: Some of it, yeah. Yeah, some of it. And I'm sorry. Christy, did you tell me? So did that research start before you got pregnant with Luke or was it after? Yeah,
1: yeah. If I didn't think there was another way, I wouldn't have gotten pregnant again. We weren't dying to have another kid. It wasn't like, this is end all be all. And I didn't want to until I started to see that I could not be devastatingly traumatized again. I just had no interest. And then when I started to see... There's another way I started to get interested again. And then I got pregnant the second month of trying.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. And and then what happened? Everything was
1: fine at first. Nothing crazy. I didn't feel well. First trimester, nausea, tiredness, but everything was fine at first. I didn't go to Sharp for a long time um, because I was figuring out what model of care I wanted. And as I pretty quickly chose co-care, basically being under an OB's care and hiring a home birth midwife. And I didn't know if I wanted to have a repeat C-section. I didn't know if I wanted to have a home birth, but I did know that I wanted options and it felt like a really empowered choice.
0: Yeah. You were literally the first person I've ever worked with where it was so clearly empowering that you got to choose. And it was so obvious from the first time that we talked that like the most important thing I could do was offer options. I think in maternity care, I think one of the reasons that doctors and hospitals, one of the reasons don't, they don't give the kind of informed decision-making process that would be better for families is that they don't have time. So if you have a five minute appointment with your OB, they ain't got time to sit with you for an hour like totally. and I did to say, okay, here are all the gray areas. Here are all the things that we could think about. Here are all the possibilities. And then you and Mark have an opportunity to go back and think, what do we want? Really, at the crux of how to get a better next birth, you have to be able to get your options. You have to know what they are.
1: That's just it. That's at the core of it. I actually thought about what I want to relay on this podcast above all else. And it really, for me, is to advocate for yourself and to give yourself choice and to surround yourself by people who hear your choice and respect your choice. That is a North star is to feel supported and empowered in a hospital. If that's what you choose in a home birth, if that's what you choose, if you free birth, if you have 10 people in the room, if you have one person in the room, like none of that matters. If you're being heard and loved and supported, that's all that matters.
0: Yeah. And going back to that statement you said about vulnerability, birth is inherently so vulnerable. And I think that's why it becomes so important that you feel like you can trust and you are listened to and you are the authority because otherwise it just feels like shit. And then also you, Mark, how did you feel after your birth with Owen?
2: It was really eye-opening. Like when you think about going to the doctor's office, you always think that they have your best interests in mind, that sort of a thing. And I don't know how much of a tangent we want to cut down, but there's a lot of other motivating factors in the hospital. It didn't realize how much you actually have to self-advocate in a hospital, which is crazy. I'm here, you're supposed to be taking care of me, but it's I actually have to take care of myself that was the biggest thing for me. I I just had no idea how much you have to self-advocate and.
0: How was the, how was the midwifery model for you guys? Cause you got to really get into both. How was the midwifery model for you? Did you feel like really offered you more of that space to be autonomous? A thousand percent.
2: You included me in everything. A thousand percent. So different. Yeah, let's talk about let's talk about the
1: midwifery model a little because I think a lot of people don't know like what it entails. It's still I feel like it's still a little bit counterculture and it shouldn't be. I mean, from the get go, God, there's so many layers to midwifery care. Number one (laughs) is like the accessibility, right? To have someone you can call or text or email, like you can never call or text or email your OB. And um, the appointments are long. They're like one to two hours.
2: In a midwife, yeah. Midwife. With a mid-,
1: mid with a midwife, we like it is a it's a holistic view, which to me means you're treating the whole person. You're looking yeah, at me as a capacity, person, yeah. And yeah, I'm pregnant, but that's only one small piece of this. There's so many layers to health and to personhood, pregnant or not, that that midwifery care gets into, whereas conventional care is really my head hurts. Okay, here's a headache medication and have a great day. So
2: yeah, I feel like the doctor never really asks how you're doing. It's always just focused like this is the baby's vitals and all. Yeah, it's not like
1: oh, you're a number, <laughs> you're very baby. much a number, and less of a whole person for mm-hmm. sure. that just the autonomy is for me, that was the biggest thing. So you obviously are a super trained professional, like you are a professional aid to birthing women. And with that, you have medical expertise that me and Mark don't have and never will have. You weave that in and you use that as guidance or as options, but then you step back and you say, you need to sit with this. Let's talk about it next appointment. Or how is that landing with you? Or even before you would touch me, you would say, if it's all right, I would like to listen to your baby now. Whereas your OB is like, I'm listening to your baby now, or lift your shirt, So the level of true power that you're given over your own body is where it should be, which is full power should be given over your body in every instance, pregnant or not in every case, except if you're maybe unconscious would be like the only time I can really think God, what else?
0: What else? Can I put in a little plug right there? Yes. So I was reading something in the last few months It's because the baby is the product and you are the carrier of the product. And so we're trying to protect the product instead of looking at you as the most important part of this whole equation. I think you're doing the most important work in the world. And so your decision-making around it is critical. (laughs) Nothing should be decided unless it's what you decided. As opposed to saying our job is to make sure that the baby's safe. That's what, that's our job. No, that's mostly it's your guys' job. We're just helping you make sure that happens. And I can say, oh, I think you should have a C-section because your baby sounds like they're not doing well. Or I think you should do this medication because I think that's what's going to help you. But like you said, and ultimately I'm the advisor and you guys are the decision makers.
1: A thousand percent. You give advice and then you have to step back and let each person do their thing, regardless of if you agree or disagree. And oh, you may have agreed or disagreed with my choices. Mark may have agreed. And frankly, I don't care. That's okay. It's okay. <laughs> but this was my pregnancy and I deserved to do it my way. And I did.
0: Yeah. Perfect segue. So would you please Christy walk us through what actually happened in your birth with, with Luke?
1: Yeah. So I guess I should Go into the pregnancy just slightly. Everything was okay until 16 to 20 weeks. Somewhere in there, I got hit with crushing anxiety. I think it was the birth trauma hitting me because it became real. I was starting to show, I could feel him. I was realizing, like, oh my freaking God, I'm doing this again. And there's only way out at this point, and it's to give birth. Right. And it hit me like, like this train is coming towards me. And We're not stopping it. It's coming. Mark can attest, it was like the hardest phase of my life that at least you've seen.
2: Yeah.
1: It was really bad, debilitating anxiety. But Mark mainly saw it the most. My mom saw it some. A couple of my closest friends saw it some, but I presented as like a person. But inside, I was really struggling. And of course, you were right there working through it with us, providing options, providing support. You gave us a lot of space, which I needed and appreciated too, because you probably knew like, baby's okay. This is, let's step back and let her work through this, which I needed to. And I want to say it got better and it did get better, but it didn't get perfect. This whole pregnancy, I struggled with it. It got better after maybe 30 weeks and I felt a little bit more like myself, but the pregnancy was generally unremarkable. I was, I felt okay until the very end. And then I started feeling poorly at 30
0: weeks, maybe. Chrissy, what's the difference in your experience between anxiety and then there was a point where you were feeling okay. And then you started to feel poorly. Can you just differentiate for anybody who might be going through yeah. this? Problem?
1: Yeah. So first trimester we'll say was just regular first trimester stuff, not anxiety, just like the nausea, fatigue, I'm tired. 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 Second trimester, I was cruising until maybe midway through. And then I got really anxious, I think, because I have to give birth again. Like, it was just this, like... It was
2: the reality that it's, you're going to have to... You might have to go back to a hospital. Right. Or I might have to go
1: back to the place that traumatized me. It was all kind of setting in. And I'm starting to feel this baby. And now I'm feeling, oh, my God, I have to protect this baby And this is real.
2: You had that crazy high blood pressure because of it.
1: My blood pressure would be high until I could calm myself down. Then it would be okay. And then third trimester, I was less anxious. But then I started physically feeling bad. A bit of swelling, a bit of headache, a bit of nausea. I would just randomly throw up after eating. And just crushing fatigue. So tired. Which is really unlike me.
0: Yeah. After hearing what you said before we started recording about all the activities you're doing these days. Oh my goodness. That's typical for me. Wow. I
1: was an athlete in high school. I like to be active.
0: Yeah. And it's, I remember seeing you and talking to you and you were like, yeah, I really can't, I really can't, I can't even walk. It was really yeah. hard for you were really uncomfortable physically. And, and I think it wasn't just like the tiredness, right? It wasn't something uncomfortable. Am I remembering that
1: wrong? Yeah, I had some sort of SPD offshoot where like I couldn't walk because like my hip hurt. And I tried like chiropractor, acupuncture, physical therapy, all the things. And then I just gave up because nothing, nothing helped. I knew giving birth would help. And so I just tried to stay optimistic about it and stop complaining about it. But yeah, it was really hard not being able to even walk. There was nowhere to dispel the stress.
0: Yeah, I remember that. I remember that you what really struck me was that you were you sounded strong in that you kept saying, I know this is limited. I know it's not going to be forever. I just have to get to the end of the pregnancy. And that seemed like a really healthy way for you to look at it. Yeah. Like it was I had to.
1: It will drive you crazy if you just like wallow in that. So I did try my best to not complain and just I would send Mark out to the zoo. I would send Mark out with the kids and But it was really sad. Like I would just be on the couch by myself. I want to go. I just couldn't. So yeah, third trimester, I started physically feeling poorly. I would say 30 weeks, 32 weeks. At this point, emotionally, I was doing better. I was in therapy. I was, and more than anything, I knew that baby was okay. Like I knew that we were far enough along that I could take that stress off. So I was feeling better emotionally, but worse physically at that point. But basically like something was just off and I've been pregnant before. So I know how pregnancy generally feels, but it was just getting worse and kind of where we call out sharp, but I talked to my OB and I just said, Hey, just really don't feel well. Like I have swelling, I have headaches, I'm throwing up randomly do you want to run some tests I asked her for blood work or whatever and she said no you're fine you're just pregnant pregnancy sucks basically and so that satisfied me for a few days and then I said you know what like I just really don't feel well so then I messaged you Katie and I said hey I really don't feel well can we run some tests and you said yeah it's no big deal to run tests it's 50 bucks go to lab corp like why wouldn't you do that it's not a big deal so I did that a day or two later, and this is, I guess, where shit hit the fan, but I guess you were at a birth and you saw the results. I didn't even hear the side of the story from you, but I guess you were awake at a birth at 4am, saw the results on your phone and called Mark and said, you guys need to go in. I guess I'd like to hear that sign from you because I was, it was between you two.
0: I'm trying to remember which birth I was at. I think I have it. I think I have it. Uh, yeah, it was just, it was a fluke. And then again, on this autonomy issue, like if I don't give you the information right away, that be, would that be upsetting that I didn't share with you about your own body as soon as I had the information and yeah. And your liver, your liver numbers, as I remember, were just off the charts. It would clearly s- signaled that you had preeclampsia. So it was, it was like, are they safe to wait until morning? Probably. But it's my job to give them that option. So then I was trying to get a hold of Mark.
1: Yep. Yeah. I'll never forget how he woke me up just so gently because he knew he was about to deliver some really tough news. He was, hey, sweetie, like, it's time to go to the hospital, honey. And I was like,
2: okay. <laughs>
1: I knew obviously something was wrong, but I guess I didn't know it was quite that wrong. I feel
2: like you knew. I feel like you knew for a while. Do you? Yeah.
1: So we weren't shocked, but it obviously is startling.
2: You were kind startling. of like, that's what I thought though. You were like, I remember that. Cause at the time, yeah, you were just feeling so bad. You're like, clearly something's wrong. And that was the craziest part was that you relayed that to your OB. Got to bash them a little more and they didn't do anything about it. You asked her for it. She's no, what did she, I don't remember her excuse for not doing it. Is, no, it's not.
1: She just said, this is pregnancy. She yeah. said,
2: so if someone's know. telling you they feel terrible, it's like, like and it's
1: that's a blood draw. It's not hard.
0: It's not yeah, hard. I've been wondering about that ever since those days. Like, why wouldn't the doctor? It just seems like in a world where everything is so litigious, where they're always worried about getting sued, it seems like the easier thing to do would just be run. I, I don't know why they didn't run it. But
1: so we go in to Sharp Mary Birch, Central San Diego, which is where we had Owen. So I'm already feeling like I'm walking into the lion's den. From second one, I'm defensive. I'm ready to fight. I'm just ready to fight. Like I know what this place is because I know what happened to me there before. And I'll get into the birth story, but I do really want to shout them out because we really did have a supportive and empowered and beautiful birth at that same place. All of the providers were different. I guess we just got really unlucky the first time, but let's just get into it. So basically they said, your labs are a mess. <laughs> We're going to keep you here and we recommend delivering, but it is your choice. So here's what I'm seeing. And I want to know how you're feeling. And this was a high risk. They brought in like the high risk lady to talk to us. And she was so cool. She was like, here's what I'm seeing. He looks great on ultrasound but you know what, this is, I'm just a doctor. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? She even turned off the lights in the room, in the ultrasound room and just let me breathe and just let me process. And I said, it's time to have this baby. I just can feel it. I intuitively know he's okay and he's ready and we're okay. And she said, I think that's a reasonable decision. And they said, do you want to get induced or do you want to have a C-section? And I said, I want to have a repeat C-section. And I said, I feel so sick. I can't withstand an induction and I want a C-section. And we had one later that night, a few hours or maybe seven, eight hours later. And it was actually amazing. And the anesthesiologist and I were talking about Disneyland and We had this amazing nurse who stayed with us the entire day and she fought to get into the C-section room, even though she's not licensed to be in there and they let her in and she held my hand the whole time and just start to finish the level of like care we received, which I'm going to say is probably in part because we insisted on that level of care at this point, like we self-advocated, we asked for what we wanted. We asked for time to think. But everybody respected it. They didn't counter us 500 times. They treated us like humans. One doctor was snippy with me about taking a blood pressure medicine because my blood pressure was normal, even though, and I ultimately took it because it was my decision. I But she found me the following day and she said, I'm really sorry that I talked to you that way. It was at shift. the end of my shift and I'm so sorry I was so pushy. And obviously it's your choice if you want to take it or not. And I was blown away. She found me in the NICU. She found where I was, came to me, and, like, just in earnest, apologized. Which was like, yeah, night and day difference from our first birth. Our births looked similar in that they were C-sections and baby was healthy and all of that. Baby did go to the NICU because he was 34 weeks, but he's fine. But the actuality of it was, these were two completely different births and not because of how the baby came out. Very, very
2: different from each other. (laughs) But
1: they were so different. One was so traumatizing and the other made me feel like I can do anything and- Made it helped me reclaim my power, which is what I thought a home birth would do. But the truth was that it wasn't about where you give birth or even with whom, it's just feeling supported. That's all it is. And we felt supported and we knew how to insist that we were supported, but we didn't have to fight that hard. I do have to give kudos to Sharp Mary Birch for whatever internal shifts that they made because what could have been a really bad day and really difficult day was actually a fantastic day. And even with a baby in the NICU and my medical issues and all of the things, like we were grateful and we were happy and we felt cared for. And I told them that. So I can really say that your birthplace, not that it doesn't matter, but you can have a really terrible birth or a really empowered birth anywhere in any way. It's, but you have to find that assuredness within yourself to know what kind of care you want and to insist on it. It is not negotiable. When I would go to my prenatal appointments with the OB, they would try to take my blood pressure and I have white coat hypertension. And so I would tell them no. And if somebody got pushy with me, like I would insist and eventually they back down, but, but yeah, just insist on being heard, insist on on that support even if they disagree it's okay it's okay if they don't agree with you this is your body and your birth so we had a really good experience crazy as it is hey, mark
0: is there anything that you'd like to add about your experience with luke's luke's birth or anything that you want to add about like your your feelings
2: i still feel like part of the reason it turned out the way it did was because we self-advocated so much i don't think we Talked up how much we did, like even the very first nurse. Like I had a chat with her when you were in the bathroom. But you shouldn't have to do that though to get that result.
0: What good. was the chat?
2: I just told her I was like, you need to give us options and you need to not force anything down us. Like I'm very calm, but I'm gonna be very hostile if it goes the way it did last time. And I just told her how we were super traumatized. And as uh, oddly enough, I think she was like nurse of the year, so she, she actually awesome. listened. Yeah. Like on the oh. wall of black that said nurse of the year, I was like, oh, she might nice. listen to us. So we could have got lucky too, in that sense, honestly, like, I feel like it's a crapshoot.
0: And I feel like a big
1: part of it too, Katie, was working with you because we see, we saw the level of care that you provided that, that safe container in which to be a person that happens to be pregnant. And you didn't see me as a body with a baby in it. So I started to see in you how you saw me and that helped me strengthen how I saw me as this is normal but it was that model of care it was the we, research yeah. we did that
2: is true we had come to basically like we wouldn't settle for anything less than like the highest standard of care and that is yeah. a huge part
1: because yeah. Of you. <laughs> yeah before we hired you we hired we were going to go to a birth center in Pacific Beach and They're really wonderful, but the fit wasn't just and we laughed and they were totally cool about it. They just ended up not being the perfect fit and there was no bad blood. But again, we weren't just looking for any midwife off the street or whatever. Like even then, even within the holistic model, we still were pointing at our North star. So it was not, it wasn't just conventional sucks. I only want a midwife. No, we fired our first midwife and not because they weren't wonderful because they were, it just wasn't the perfect fit for us.
0: I liked how you said it. You were following your North star and I believed you. I believed that you have enough internal compass to know if something's up. And it's, it's possible, right? Like people could be paranoid or they could be worried about something that isn't really there, but that's what the tests are for. That's why it's nice that we have diagnostic tests. We can find out and if that we can put your mind at ease. So just want to really, I think you, you've said it a couple of times in this podcast so far, I just think that the key is to follow your North star. So if that brings you to a chosen C-section then that's what it does. And that's great. That's what it did for us. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's birth and it's really all things like just do you and surround yourself by people that honor and respect that even if it's not what they would choose. It, it honestly is all encompassing, but it really was pointed in birth. We really felt it was like the, a critical time to have that level of care. And we're so grateful Katie still to you for what are we grateful to Katie for?
2: <laughs> you looped me in like from the first appointment. You're like, do you want to feel like all this stuff? You made me a part of it, which was crazy. Our last baby was in COVID. So I didn't get to see an appointment. You
1: didn't go to one.
2: Not one. I wasn't allowed in. And so even that alone, I was like, I was sold from, yeah, you know, just from the start. I was like, this is so different. Truly.
1: You were right there with us. You were in the thick of it with us in a way that conventional model. It just, it isn't designed that way. And that truly isn't a knock on them. They just have too many patients, not enough time. uh, They can't be, they can't be. It's just not, it's just not built that way. I have
0: shown on paper that you can, you could build this model that we do, and you could actually save the healthcare system money and get better outcomes. We could be doing this. We just aren't. Anyway, but um, I still so believe that. Yeah, it's actually I can prove it on paper. It's amazing when you do the numbers. But I want to go back to this. The th- there's something you said, Mark, some, like this North Star idea. Oh, okay. So when you walked in and you got the Nurse of the Year, now the who the for me the woo woo here is that you walked in and got the Nurse of the Year because your North Star was energetically setting you up. Like you had shifted what you thought. You should have. You got really good people on your team, and I think that's. I think that's all. I believe, and that's an energetic. Like you shifted your energetics for this birth, and you said, "This is what we will have."
2: I think for sure, energy was way different. Way different than the first time.
0: We weren't mean. We were
1: polite, but so firm. Such firm advocates. Like we were going to take the time we needed and space we needed. We weren't going to settle this time for for coercion, for threats, for a feeling of you have to make this decision now. If there's a true emergency, maybe, but I still probably would have asked for a second opinion in a little space, so...
2: That's what I'm saying. You still shouldn't have to go in there. You're shouldn't. going to battle. Like, We're going in, we're ready. But you should
1: not have to, but unfortunately in our experience, you do have to, you do have to have high standards and, and a high sense of autonomy and high sense of self. All birthing people deserve that. And you are not a body to be just carrying a baby around that can be messed with without your consent, because it's not true. How's our
0: experience? Yeah. Now we're done. So we're not going to hire <laughs> you again.
1: Family's
2: complete. You're free to but everyone. You.
0: <laughs> I just really, Chrissy, every time we've ever met, I really appreciate your clarity. And I feel like you have a very strong inner voice. We've talked, you and I have talked about it. I'm, I might say this for the podcast. Preeclampsia has to do with the placenta not attaching properly inside the uterus. And so it may be from an early gestational age like you said like 16 weeks that your body was like oh hold up I do not have the resources this is not a good connection and so it was sending you a signal that it needed something that it wasn't getting and then like you said then that sensitivity that you had really set you up to be paying attention and then oh look at this look at what you found
1: it's this
2: year. probably
1: yeah. true. I truly knew something was wrong. Glad we took some action on it, and also just <laughs> really glad to never be pregnant again. Honestly,
0: <laughs> you weren't pregnant forever, so congratulations. Oh, I know.
1: It feels good, honestly.
0: <laughs> and so, how old is Luke
1: today? Luke is four months. He was born with some kidney issues, really high blood pressure. Some hard spots on his kidney, and he actually just got cleared last week. Everything is resolved, and he's doing great.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Did it just clear up? did it just clear up naturally? Yeah,
1: I think okay. they're just
2: immature kidneys. That's why it looked like that. So.
0: That's it. That's what
2: they said. Yeah,
0: yeah
1: we don't know. Okay, but yeah. he's doing great. He's like Good. smiling and cooing, and I'll show you a picture. I don't yes, know if, you yes,
0: know if you if it's okay to put it in, I'll put it in. Yeah. And how is Owen doing with Luke? How is Owen handling being a big brother?
1: Here's Mark, too. Here's Luke.
0: Oh, (laughs) Oh, that's so cute. I mean, cutie. (laughs) Oh,
1: it's beautiful. Oh, (laughs) thank you. Oh, um, Owen's doing good. At first, we had the little rough patch. We Great. had a little a violent moment, but um, they're all settling now.
2: In. He's so sweet with it. Yeah, he just runs over and kisses them. He's like, "Baby Luke." And yeah, he just he likes to help
1: funny. put him to bed and turn on the sound machine and turn yep. the fan on. Yep. Lily and Owen are fans now.
0: Okay. Good. Did Lily have an adjustment period too? Her adjustment period was
1: finding out that he was a boy. She was very like disappointed. very upset about that.
2: <laughs> she wanted a sister real bad.
1: We haven't had the like how babies are made talk yet. So she thinks that you just get pregnant magically. And so she's like, oh, maybe there'll be another one coming and it'll be a girl. I'm like, no, there's no more coming. She's like, No. It's not always up to you. I'm like, no, it's definitely up to us, (laughs) but she's, she's so extroverted. She likes the chaos. So she's in her element. I think she's resigned herself to the fact that she has two wild brothers who are less than two years apart that are going to torment her.
0: (laughs) Yep. (laughs) They'll be best friends one day.
1: Hopefully they'll be like the three amigos and it'll be all good.
0: But that picture you show me, it makes me want to have a baby.
1: Like really?
0: Oh my God. He's so like yummy he's coming into
1: himself this is much more our sweet spot like for months, to like oh now I see you now you're cool
0: are you still breastfeeding
1: I am I don't know how I made it this far I'm shocked
2: <laughs> I feel like we just didn't put any pressure on it it was just like if you feel like doing it just do it and if not like I support you either way
1: yeah Mark oh I can do all the formula feedings in a day and I was like no I'm gonna keep trying and I don't know. We had a lot of hurdles because he was a preemie, but somehow we're still chugging along. So I do not like pumping. Like going back to work, honestly, is hard. Mm. And pumping, I pump three times a day at work, which Mm. is not my favorite. I made it like seven weeks pumping, two months.
0: Yeah, you had a lot more going on mentally with Owen after in the postpartum though too.
1: It was a trauma. I wasn't even connected to him, bonded to him at all. So My body didn't really want to care for him. My body wanted to keep myself alive. I was in like total shock, fight or flight mode.
0: When did that start to get better?
1: Uh, It started to get less intense a few months in, probably like three to four months. But I hadn't resolved it all the way, obviously, because it popped up so big. My next pregnancy, I think you just kind of forget it and you get into the Mm -hmm. newborn swing of things, but I hadn't worked all the way through it. I don't even know if I have to this day, like if I were to get pregnant again, would I still feel a certain kind of way? I don't know. It's just, it's unfortunately just like a part of my story now that I don't know if I'll ever shake it all the way out. So it's not a part of my day-to-day right now, but is there still a part of it within me? Yeah, probably.
0: Yeah. I wonder if it would be helpful. So one of the things I put into the course that I made is an exercise where you take each event that went wrong in your first birth and you replay it in your mind, like realizing that you actually had the power the whole time. And it was simply them taking it away from you that made the event so hard. And I just wonder, I wonder if that would put more power and less trauma back into your energetic about it.
1: Yeah, I'm open to it. At this point, it's not in the forefront of my mind, which makes it yeah. a little easier to work on and work mm-hmm. through. I
0: really hope I. I know I said this already, but I really hope that this thing you and I are doing right now is truly going to contribute to some other people not having to go through what you went through. That's all we so want to. We would
2: say too, yeah. Like if someone's like on the fence, just try it. Like it's so much better.
0: And.
1: It's unfortunate that not everybody has the access to midwifery care. And I wish, I really wish that would change.
0: That's the whole mission of C Midwives. The mission is that by 2053, community midwives are valued as the highest value in maternity care in the United States. And for me, this little podcast is like one apparatus to shift the consciousness. If you're from the UK, you get a midwife. And then if anything goes wrong, you also get a doctor. (laughs) <laughs> if nothing else goes wrong you just have a midwife know, mm-hmm. it's just the way that our system got set up it's ass backwards truly
2: just go midwife just if you do that yeah <laughs> just go midwife <laughs> if you can that's moral
1: okay
0: maybe that's I'm the not next- to say there's not
1: emergencies in birth because there are it's just that yeah. there's yeah. much more people that can successfully give birth with very little intervention yeah which they make it feel like Every birth is an emergency. Right. It's not true.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. They do that because that's the training. That's literally the system it's baked in. But yeah. I do think that there's progress. It's just not as fast as it should be. So people need to keep advocating for themselves.
1: I hope okay. it helps someone. I hope somebody listens to it and avoids our mistakes.
2: I actually meant what I said. I hope if someone's on the edge, they just try it because... The more people that do it, it's like, spreads awareness.
0: So that was Christy and Mark. I hope that if you found this really compelling, you will listen to the next podcast, share it with your friends, share it on social media. The, the thing about birth in this country is that it's still talked about like it's this terrible, dramatic experience. And you need medications and you need sirens and you need like, oh, my God, you know, go to the hospital. But as you listen to more and more of these birth stories from people who started off with a birth in a typical experience and then moved their care to midwifery care, you'll hear over and over that actually their experience of being in the hospital was in many ways scarier, in many ways more disempowering in many ways, less what they needed than the birth that they had with midwives. So that's the purpose of the podcast is to highlight that truth, um, because I don't think it's well known right now in our country. And I, your host, midwife Katie Bueller, um, honored to be a person who's like purveying this information in our time. I hope to be one of the people that changes our culture so that we shift towards valuing midwifery care at the level it should be valued at while maintaining a system where people can get adequate medical care for their pregnancies, births, and postpartums because that care system has a beautiful place. It's it's very valuable also. And it probably shouldn't be the dominant Um, mode for normal, healthy pregnancies. It should probably be just like it is for sickness. It should be a place where people can go if birth is dangerous, if pregnancy becomes dangerous, if postpartum becomes, um, dysregulated, right? Then that system is meant to resolve problems. And the midwifery care system is meant to enhance and prepare and guide and like work with the nervous system, the family system, to help bring uh, life into the world in a way that really um, supports that growth. All right, that's my pedestal for today. I hope you enjoyed it, and I look forward to you hearing the next episode of A Better Next Birth. See ya!